It looks like we're knocking on the door of a tax revolt. That and a lot more to talk about on the show today with Global BC's Keith Baldry, the Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer and Rob Shaw. Later in the show, Kamloops South MLA Todd Stone joins us. Accountable to you, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Centre on Radio NL. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. It's a beautiful day shaping up here in Kamloops. Always a pleasure to be joined on the phone by Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Morning, uh, Shane. No, we've got a lot to talk about uh, this morning. Uh, well, let's dive in on the speculation tax because I think that is probably the hottest topic in the province right now. Uh, as you guys know, Nanaimo, uh, both the Kelowna's won out. I think Victoria's decided to stand pat. Uh, but there's a lot of alarm bells being raised about how this tax is structured and its impacts. Keith, major problem for this government or no? Well, it's starting to become a major problem. I don't think we're quite there yet, but uh, we have this unusual situation where the tax has been announced, but we don't know anything about the tax. None of the details have been released. So we're speculating about a speculation tax, and that's got a lot of people understandably confused and worried, particularly on uh, whether or not vacation properties are going to be taxed or not. So uh, I think the entire um, situation in terms of buying or selling property has come to a grinding halt, and I'm not sure that necessarily improves the market situation or lowers housing prices. I think this government is discovering that there's no magic solution to the housing crisis. There's no one uh, fix uh, is is set for all. It's a complicated situation, and I think uh, I think the government's going to fall on its face when it comes to housing prices. A year from now, I'd be surprised if we have a bunch of a slump. Meanwhile, we're going to have a lot of homeowners upset with uh, with a tax that probably won't have a much impact on on the price. Yeah, uh, people in this province are definitely concerned about housing. Let me read a. A quote from Les Lane's column a few days ago. But the current design of the speculation tax is regressive to the core. The values are a lot higher. The more money you earn, the more of the speculation tax you can avoid. That doesn't sound like what we were promised, Vaughn. No, no, I think you're quite right. When people heard there was going to be a speculation tax, nobody likes speculators. Uh, that's great. We're going to go after speculators. And the premier said that was the target. But he also said the target was not British Columbians who own vacation and recreational properties. However, the Finance Ministry website says exactly the opposite. It says people with secondary homes, vacation properties, recreational properties in the target area, which is a big part of the province, those people will have to pay the speculation tax up front. They may get some of it back on their provincial income tax. So you've got the Premier saying one thing, Finance Ministry website saying another, Finance Minister has repeatedly been asked, Shane, to clarify, make it clear you're not going to treat BC owners of recreational property as speculators. She won't say it. She says, wait, we're going to clarify it later this spring. Just wait, just wait. Trust us, in my experience, has never been a particularly great line of defense for governments, especially when we're talking about taxes. You know, usually... Keith's right. When we're talking about taxes, usually we have the legislation sitting in front of us. We can point line by line to where it applies and where it doesn't. This is very unusual. We don't have the bill. We're left, as Keith said, speculating. But the finance ministry suggests to us that British Columbians are the target. They're being treated like real estate speculators in their own province. Rob, the, even though we're speculating about a speculation tax, the budget doesn't seem to speculate about the revenues that are, that are cooked into this thing. Uh, I mean, is this how tax policy should be created? 
No, I mean, it's bizarre to look in the budget and see, you know, $200 million in revenue expected in a full fiscal year under a speculation tax. It was modeled on something, using some assumptions on who it was going to apply to. And now we have the government tinkering, theoretically, with it. And the Premier was saying that if they make changes to it, they'll, and they lose revenue, they'll make that up through the contingency fund. I mean, $200 million on a you know $50 billion budget doesn't sound like a lot, but $200 million is almost the surplus, uh, the operating surplus the government's squeaking by with every year. So it does make a big difference, and it's a bizarre way to do the tax policy. I think one of the reasons the NDP has landed in the jam on this is because they they defined it by regional district, especially here on the island. And that makes, I can see why they did it, because you don't want to just say the city of Victoria mm. and then the suburbs here in Victoria aren't captured. So you say the capital regional district, but that includes uh, a bunch of Gulf Islands here on the island. And you don't want to just say Nanaimo. So you say the Nanaimo regional district, but that includes Parksville and Qualicum where you have retirees who are buying homes that they rent and then move out there when they retire. And then you, you have this bizarre situation where if you look on the, not to bore your interior listeners, but when you look on the map of the island here, all the Gulf Islands off of uh, Nanaimo and Victoria are captured except for one in the middle, Thetis Island. And, I mean, you can't design. So what do you think is going to happen to Thetis Island, mm. which is not subject to the speculation tax? Like, So the geography of it was a mistake. And you can see that the New Democrats realize that's a mistake. That was It was intended for urban centers, you know, Kelowna, Nanaimo, Victoria, and, and Metro Vancouver. And the district borders have really made this thing a mess. Keith, the, the finance minister has hinted, as has the premier, they're going to change this thing. It seems to me the heat is being nothing but cranked up. Can they change the speculation tax as it is to effectively use it, or do they have to throw the whole thing out and start from scratch? Well, you know, Rob mentioned the $200 million revenue stream, and, and, and he's right. On a, on a $50 billion-plus budget, it's not a huge amount, but it is represents the surplus. But it's, it's small enough that she can make enough changes to exempt enough people, uh, vacation properties and such, and lose a bunch of revenue for this thing and not tip the, de- the budget into deficit. I mean, she could carve $50 million off that thing or $75 million in foregone revenue, um, and I think she's going to do that. And I think what the other thing that this is... Uh, uh, resulted in is the Liberals finally have some issues that they can beat the NDP over the head with. This has got nothing to do with the previous government in terms of a measure. Uh, This is an NDP speculation tax along with the employer uh, health tax and it's given the Liberals an effective tool to use in question period day in and day out uh, to to, uh, turn up the heat on the government. Carol James has been on the defensive. She's changed her messaging. Whenever whenever the government says, well, what would you do? That's a sign that the government is running out of of, uh, steam on an issue. So, and that's exactly what Carol James is doing in the House. She doesn't look good on this. Increasingly, every day, she looks weaker and weaker. And, you know, I think everybody has a lot of respect for Carol James, but uh, I think she's dealt herself a bad hand here, and she has to clear it up sooner than later. I mean, she caught a break by the, the, the spring break now for three weeks, so the legislature's not sitting. Mm-hmm. But when they come back, if, the, if it's still not clear when the House resumes sitting, I think the Liberals will be merciless in their attacks on Carol James. And, and she's got to get some, some answers here and some clarity because right now it's a giant mess. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, budget impacts aside and sort of the political repartee in the House aside, uh, I, go, I go back to the fact that, that voters, people in this province, especially in Metro Vancouver, are incensed about the housing issue. Uh, and I think they want a speculation tax that actually targets speculation. And, and what happens if they don't get it, Vaughn? Well, 
uh, what happens if they don't get it is the government will have really gone at cross purposes. But, you know, the, the thing that's hard to figure out here is why they're being so stubborn. I mean, they said right off the top that the target was not British, British Columbians with vacation properties. And there's plenty of examples of the wrong places being included. And, in fact, one of the right places being excluded. I mean, I've heard from people in the Gulf Islands who say, why am I being targeted with a tax that is supposed to discourage speculation and create more rental property? On my island, there is no market for rentals. But meanwhile, left out of all this is Whistler, where there is a genuine shortage of rental for the people who live and work there. And if they'd included Whistler and sort of left the Gulf Islands out, at least it would be more to the purpose of the tax. The normal advice to governments when you get into trouble on something like this and you're going at cross-purposes to your own messaging is clarify, back down, deal with it. They could have done that this week. They didn't. The hard part to figure out on this one is the stubbornness on it, because the longer you drag it out, the more coverage there's going to be mm-hmm. getting it wrong, and the more coverage there's going to be of NDP finally backs down on speculation tax, which is going to be the story if they hold off till April or May to clarify it. I agree. Uh, last week on this show, Andrew Weaver and Andrew Wilkinson uh, both said that this thing does not target speculation uh, using the context. If you flip homes, you're not going to pay any more than you do now, uh, and that the real way to get at this thing is through capital gains. Rob, do you, th- do you think that's a fair assessment or no? Sure. I mean, it's a fair assessment, but this tax is based on an academic plan from a couple of years ago that didn't go the capital gains route. It went this route. And it included in it um, an option for municipalities to opt in and out. And the New Democrats have tinkered with the academic plan. If you go back and read that plan, which we all covered at the time, you know, this is UBC SFU profs mm-hmm. uh, endorsed by David Eby. He brought it in a private member's bill. I mean, this is how the tax is supposed to work. In fact, their plan is much harsher on British Columbians with second homes. Um, there are no exemptions for that and uh, under the academic plan. I mean, they have, it's a much stricter plan. And what you're seeing is the New Democrats embrace a plan that is great in university studies uh, and in abstract discussions on Twitter, but is, has political um, poison all over it. And, and, doesn't, and for voters who finally understand what it does, they're, they're, they're stuck trying to figure it out. And so... That's where they've landed in. Yeah, it would be great, you know, tax the capital gains. There's a bunch of other ways you can do it. That people are talking about zoning and municipal zoning and provincial money. And, uh, and it, it, that's not the route the New Democrats went. And the length of time they're taking to make changes strikes me as very similar to when the liberals were stuck on the housing issue, complaining that it took so long to make housing tax changes because there was so much worry within the Ministry of Finance on consequences to the market um, you know, they needed research to back it up, and the Liberals were criticized for not moving fast enough. And now the NDP is stuck moving very quickly and then trying to backfill it in a different way. And they're, and they're in the same mess that, in a different way that the Liberals were. So, sure, capital gains, but that's, this plan is based on what the New Democrats campaigned on. And I don't think they realized how unpopular parts of it would be when it was oh. enacted. Fair assessment, Keith? 
Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's a very good point. I think this is an academic-driven exercise. It's not a political exercise. I think they listen too much to self-appointed experts in the economy field, a relatively new subject. So we haven't uh, we haven't tried to solve the housing crisis before. There's never been an attempt to do this. It's uh, it's going into the marketplace in a way that's never been done before, and the the consequences uh, may be unintentional, but uh, they're listening too much to the academics. Uh, who, as Rob says, are very good in, your, in the classroom and these, these exercises that have no bearing on people's lives. But not applying a political lens to something so important as this is, uh, is a recipe for disaster. I think the NDP's got to stop listening to the economists and start listening to their political smarts. And they do have some political smarts, but uh, that's not in evidence right now. It's too much classroom theory and not enough real politic. Now let's get you in on this, Vaughn. I would just say that I don't, and I said this to the minister yesterday, I don't see how targeting vacation properties in the Gulf Islands or other some of the other places they've included is going to either help housing affordability in Vancouver and Victoria, Metro Vancouver, where it's a huge problem, and I don't see how it's going to improve the ho- supply of rental housing in the markets where it's actually needed. So <clears throat> you're left either saying they're just incredibly stubborn and they're not willing to clarify it right now, or maybe this was their real intention. You know, the reason yeah. they're jacking up taxes, school taxes and property transfer taxes on the west side in Vancouver is because they want those seniors who are living in big, overpriced, $6 million houses to downsize and sell their places. That's what they really want. Mm. They want to get the tax advantage of it. So, you know, I guess one thing you go as well, the government's being stubborn and it's not willing to clarify, but consider the possibility in the back of your mind, this is exactly what they wanted to do. It's class warfare and it is intergenerational warfare and they're targeting these people because they don't much like them and they want them to sell their places. Okay, uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, we'll continue our tax talk on the other side here on Inside Politics with Rob Shaw, Von Palmer, and Keith Baldry. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. This is Radio NL's Inside Politics. Here's NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw. Let's continue the speculation tax. There's one key question uh, I want to ask you guys. So obviously, uh, we're going to see legislation on this thing in the fall. Uh, an interesting dynamic with Andrew Weaver not very happy about it. Andrew Wilkinson obviously being opposed to it. Uh, so the question to you, we'll start with you, Rob. Uh, is there, I mean, we know Weaver so far has been more bark than bite, but is there a scenario where Andrew Weaver is so upset about the speculation tax he could theoretically side with the on this thing I don't think so I mean he's already voted for the budget yeah <laughs> he voted for a budget that had a tax in it that he didn't get any information on that he still doesn't understand and now he's complaining about it so I think that ship has sailed for mr. Weaver I mean if we're talking about the legislature functioning differently if the point of the greens as the power brokers is to hold the NEP to account to use the million dollar secretariat as the liberals call it to get information that we can't in the public don't have about the NDP's intentions so that they can make informed decisions on keeping them in power. Well, that that system failed utterly in the case of the, the taxes we're talking about, because the Greens have no more information than we do on what the, the government is trying to do. So I, I don't see, you know, Andrew Weaver pulling the pin on the government over this. Just to, just to pick up on Bond's point before the break there, 
the idea of class warfare, I think, is a totally legitimate argument that is starting to underpin some of the tax measures. You see the Liberals have, have uh, called the speculation tax the cabin tax. Mm. And on Twitter, some people are calling it the envy tax or the jealousy tax, and specifically on the school tax surcharge for homes uh, more than $3 million. There's a, a movement out there by some on the left. I, I got into a debate with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, a gentleman who called that senior that uh, three million dollar tax uh, uh, passive uh, land ownership mm. on three million dollar properties, which sounds great in an economics textbook. But there are a lot of people out there who are passive landowners who are just seniors who have owned a home for decades, paid taxes, paid it off, raised families. Their home is worth more on paper than they bring in on income and they are designed to be targeted in this tax i don't think that's going to change and that is a class it's a wealth issue that is an underpinning of what the new democrats have done and that whole conversation is a totally different area but it's a legitimate one i think we're going to hear more about as people digest this in the months ahead keith yeah, well, you know, the NDP government of the 1990s uh, enacted some class warfare measures, uh, notably a tax on luxury uh, vehicles and high-end homes, and they had to they had to retreat on that. Um, and I think they, they've, they're plowing some dangerous ground here because uh, a lot of people who own expensive homes are not necessarily liberal voters. They can be, you know, old NDP voters who just happen to have their properties appreciate in value. So uh, I think there is an element of class warfare to this, no question. Yvonne's right. Maybe this is exactly what they wanted to do all along. But I don't think at the end of the day on electoral politics that class warfare works for them in terms of maintaining power. And I think they've got to, they've got to keep their hold on the suburbs of Metro Vancouver, and that is not all a bunch of, you know, East End working class people. This is uh, a lot of middle class people are getting affected potentially by some of these taxes. And uh, the NDP historically has always been tagged with the tax and spend brand, but they're playing right into that cliche with this type of approach. They're ramping up spending big time on social programs, and they're taxing a lot of people, notably people in geographical areas normally associated with more upper end than lower end incomes. But uh, I think it's a dangerous game for them. All right. Uh, final word to you and Vaughn, and then we'll do a quick round the horn on the fish farm fiasco. I think the uh, <clears throat> the question you ask on any of this is, to what degree will going after these taxes, uh, going after these people uh, on, a, say, a class warfare or intergenerational warfare basis, actually solve the problem that you've identified? If you can persuade people with empty condos in Vancouver to put them back on the market or rent them out, that is actually going to affect your vacancy rate, and that will actually solve the problem. If you force a senior who's been living in his or her neighborhood for years on the west side to dump their property just because they can't afford it and dump it at 5 or $6 million, you're going to get revenue from that. There's no question the government will get revenue from it. But will you change the makeup of that neighborhood in any kind of positive way? Isn't it likely that foreign buyers who are buying into our market for the reasons they buy because it's a safe long-term investment, they'll eat the tax and buy the place anyway. So my concern with this is going after the Gulf Islands, going after people on the west side with, you know, these accumulated values in their property. I see it'll bring in revenue for the government, but I don't see it will address the actual problems they've identified, which is creating more rental housing and more affordable housing for people at the entry level to the market. You're not dealing with that. 
all you're doing is settling scores on a class warfare basis. All right, uh, let's jam in the fish farm thing before the bottom of the hour here. Uh, Rob uh, Lana Popham calling it good news, a good news story. Uh, this $100,000 review came up aces uh, into that Abbotsford Science Lab. Yeah, yeah here's a pro media tip. Uh, if you ever have to tell reporters something is a good news story, it is not. <laughs> like, and this is not a good news story for the New Democrats. This is a mess that's been going on for months. Lana Popham landed herself in the glue on fish farms. She called out a scientist in her own ministry she appeared to target her own lab and the premier had to bail her out with an independent review and full credit to don wright his deputy minister who walked a very straight line in this review that came out yesterday that said all the concerns raised by the minister about conflict in the lab shoddy science being in the pocket of the private fish farms are unfounded and in fact, the lab is doing a perfectly good job. And despite what you may have heard from Minister Popham, that she is happy to accept the nine recommendations that strengthen the lab, if you read that report, all the recommendations start with, there is no problem on conflict, mm -hmm. there is no problem on the science. If you want to strengthen the guidelines, here is what you could do. So there's a lot of, <laughs> I mean, back covering uh, PR spin by the minister on this issue to try and make it sound like this report said anything other than everything she raised was not an issue. Keith? Yeah, well, there's another example of activism in opposition having to take a back seat to governance, governance once you're in government. Uh, Alana Poppin was an, is an anti-fish farm activist in opposition. She's now a minister. Uh, she got, basically attacked this lab's credibility using a, a, a CTV news story as the hook for this, which turned out to be wrong. And as a result, uh, and the deputy minister here, Don Wright, very professional, you know, he said, no, there's no conflict here, despite what the anti-fish farm activists have to say about this. It's, a, it's an, a, the latest in a long string of activist positions having to be shelled by this NDP government as they face the realities of governing. You can't govern as an activist, anti-everything entity. You've got to govern for everyone in B.C., and that's what Don Wright did, and Lana Popham's going to have to learn that. Final word to you, Vaughn. Uh, Popham got mud on her face. Uh, very much so. You know, this report was not commissioned by her, and the report did not go to her. The report went to the premier who commissioned it. She was sent out to react, but and she said, oh, well, you know, the lab had been discredited. No, it was Lana Popham that was discredited, and she still hasn't figured out that she was cut out of the loop. She was simply sent out to acknowledge that she was wrong, and the lab, her own ministry's lab, was in the right on this one. All right, let's take a break to the bottom of the hour, get caught up to the news, and we'll continue our discussions with Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw right after this. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. For Kamloops Computer Center. You're listening to Inside Politics on Radio NL. Once again, here's Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. We're talking to Keith Baldry, Vaughn Palmer, and Rob Shaw. Uh, let's try and tackle as many issues in this segment as we can. Why don't we start with the uh, FIFA thing that popped up this week? Uh, basically, two arguments to this. Either the NDP government closed the door on a world-class sporting event and its subsequent economic spin-offs, or they did the smart card and played wary with a very corrupt sporting institution. Vaughn, uh, why don't we start with you? 
Well, I don't think there's much argument that uh, FIFA, by even standards of global corruption, is one of the most corrupt organizations in international sport, if not the most. You've had a whole bunch of senior officials plead guilty to money laundering and wire fraud and a whole bunch of other things. I, I joked when I first heard about it that maybe they were interested in coming here for our casinos, given the abuses there in terms of money laundering. Uh, they're also incredibly high-handed, like international organizations tend to be, making huge demands of host governments and wanting blank checks. And on this one, I give the New Democrats full credit for not falling for it. They've joined Chicago and, what, Minneapolis and some other sensible cities in North America saying thanks, but no thanks. Uh, Take your business elsewhere. Keith? Well, I'm a huge sports fan. I'm a big World Cup fan. But uh, having said that, I think John Horgan made the right call here. I had a nice chat with him about uh, why he was concerned about this. I mean, it was going to potentially be uh, a pretty big cost to the taxpayers of BC in the tens of millions of dollars when you factor everything in. And FIFA wanted the right to basically what's called a step-in clause, step in and, and, and demand other things that weren't on the table at the beginning. So, uh, no, BC said no. Alberta, the Alberta government said no. Uh, Toronto's going it, but they, it's the city of Toronto, not the province of Ontario. Um, Chicago said no. Minneapolis said no. FIFA is notoriously corrupt. They spend money like a drunken sailor, and uh, I think Horgan is correct to say, well, yeah, go spend your money, but uh, we're not spending B.C. taxpayers' money. Yeah, Chicago may be the most interesting one, because I believe that's where the American uh, Soccer Federation is based out of, yeah. Yep. Uh, Rob? Yeah, I mean, you have to give the New Democrats credit on this one for weathering, I think, a first day in which the reaction was, you know, you did what? You did, you did, you scuttled the FIFA? Like, there was an initial blowback, you know, in the House with the Liberals, and people are like, how could you do this? But it turns out that uh, by sticking to their guns that they made the right call, it sounds like. And um, now everyone else is bailing on these deals, and uh, and the NDP look, uh, look smarter for doing it. Uh, Gordon Wilson libel lawsuit uh, enhanced that to include a number of media outlets uh, and Simi Sarah over at CKNW. Uh, essentially, the way I read this is a Hail Mary attempt to try and force those media outlets to come up with a name or names of whomever this behind-the-scenes grand architect of the Wilson smear is. Uh, and uh, maybe a way to kind of leverage some media attention into a settlement to get some more money before the judge rules with a little less. Uh, Keith, you read on this thing? Well, I think Wilson included the media so his lawyer can question reporters about where where this information came from. I think actually it was Rob who was the first guy to report Bruce Ralston's hey, hey, here. Hang on a second. Oh, uh, yeah, but you know, Wilson. If this gets into court, it's uh, it's going to be embarrassing for Horgan. Uh, Wilson wants his pound of flesh and his his uh, you know his day in court. Uh, maybe there'll be a settlement before then. I'm not sure, but uh, it has the potential to get a little messy for John Horgan and Bruce Ralston. But uh, again, Wilson's a very unpredictable character here, so uh, I'm not sure exactly where this is going to go. On Facebook, I noted he. I said on the air, I didn't think he wanted a settlement, and on Facebook, both he and his wife Judy. Tiabji said, uh, well, I think Judy Tiabji said, oh, no, he would be interested in a settlement. So maybe at the end of the day, that's where this is headed. But it does involve taxpayers' dollars in terms of indemnity uh, covering legal costs, and that's where it gets a little sticky for John Horgan as well. Gordon Wilson told me this week he absolutely wants a settlement and quote-unquote, as fast as possible. Rob? Yeah, for as much as possible, yeah. I think, <laughs> is to increase the amount that you're going to get in your settlement from government, uh, and uh, it's a crafty move, you know. It's interesting to hear the New Democrats have to say in the House on questions about indemnity that they're following a policy that the Liberals followed, and 
the, the Liberals dug up a quote from David Eby um, saying a few years ago that uh, the public's paying your legal bill, the public has a right to know for how much. And now David Eby, the Attorney General, has fallen behind the same lines that the Liberal government used to use, that they can't talk about indemnities, they're confidential, and uh, they're reported out uh, annually in the Crown Proceedings Act, which didn't satisfy Mr. Eby in opposition, and now he's got about the same lines in government. So it's a bit of a, a role reversal for him, too. Vaughn? One of the Liberals, Mary Polak, the House Leader, has stepped forward to confirm that she is indemnified in the lawsuit involving the handle of handling of that quarter, uh, uh, quarry at Shawnigan Lake, when she was Environment Minister. She made decisions as Minister. She's entitled to be indemnified. She applied for it, and she is indemnified. So she's done what any politician with an indemnity can do, which is confirm the fact that they're being indemnified. It's true what E.B. says, that the government can't disclose it, but the, the minister who's been targeted can disclose it. Polak has done that, and Ralston and the Premier should both do the same. They've not done it. However, having said that, I have very little sympathy for Gordon Wilson going after news organizations for the fact that we covered what cabinet ministers and the Premier said about him. That, to me, is crossing a line, especially a guy like Wilson, who has lived high off a lot of media coverage for many, many years. Uh, my understanding of that is, is, and I'm just going by what Judy Tabji and Gordon Wilson told me, uh, is that they're doing that because the Premier and the Ralston defense is that they didn't really say it as much as they were prodded into saying it by the media. So take that for what it's worth. Uh, uh, question, a funny defense. Yeah, a question for each of you to wrap this thing up. Uh, Rob, why don't we start with you. Is this ledge session going to have to go into overtime? They haven't been very productive so far. Yeah, there's a lot of suggestions that we, uh, because there's so few bills. I mean, I think there's like seven, six bills if you take the Supply Act and the Supremacy of Parliament bills out. Uh, and uh, the avalanche of legislation for marijuana that we were told is coming has not appeared. We have a three-week break. There's some suggestions we may end up in, in the House until June. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Andrew Weaver has called the agenda of the government so far pretty pathetic. Uh, in an interview and uh, with the CBC. And so I, I, we're all waiting for um, the New Democrats to bring forward their legislative agenda. We basically ran out of things to debate, uh, essentially, and the, the few weeks that we've had. So the meat of the session, I think, is going to arrive like a tidal wave uh, when they all get back after three weeks uh, off. All right. Uh, Keith, uh, some news on the Site C Dam this morning. Uh, what, $1.6 billion, I believe, in contracts awarded? Yes, uh, this is the build the generating station in the in the spillways. Again, every day I go on my log into my email and Facebook, and I'm inundated with anti-site C dam activists who insist the dam is going to be stopped any day now. Just you know, if we have a big enough protest rally, we're going to stop this thing. No, it's not going to be stopped. This is a huge contract that's been awarded. I think one of the projects involves a 17-story tower as part of this. It's 1.6 billion dollars, and there's more money to come. It's within the $10.7 billion uh, budget. I think people have to get their heads around this dam. is a done deal, barring the, I think, extraordinary move by a court to stop it, which I don't think is going to uh, happen. Uh, no, this thing is c continuing apace, and uh, some people live in a state of denial in this province, but this, this mega project is here to stay. Those damn activists. Uh, Vaughn, uh, independent power producers, a bit of a new attitude with this new government. 
Yeah, the New Democrats were no fans of independent power producers, and of course they don't need as much independent power now that they're going ahead with public power at Site C. Uh, government this week awarded five, uh, sorry, announced Hydro that it's going into negotiations for five small-scale power projects with First Nations, and the government indicated that going forward there will be additional agreements with First Nations to get them off diesel and, and other things, but that that's basically it. The, the glory days of independent power under the B.C. Liberals are over. The New Democrats much never much like private power, and they're not going to do very much of it, except, as I said, for some partnerships with First Nations. Uh, final word to you, Rob. Your book tour is launching. Uh, when are you going to be here in the loops? Yeah, well, we're, the, the book is uh, heading out uh on bookstores uh, shelves this weekend. Did you have a book? The, <laughs> that's, right, that's right. You can check. Actually, you know what? The best way to do it is probably to check uh, our website, matteroconfidence.com, which is the name of our book. And we have a bunch of different events. We're in Kamloops. We're in uh, Kelowna. Uh, we're uh, we're on Vancouver and Victoria. And uh, we're all doing that the next uh, few weeks. So head over there and you can find out where we are and come by and say hello. April 6th. Great, great book. I highly recommend it. Very good book, but shameless promotion. <laughs> April 6th here in Kamloops, I believe. Yeah, Rob? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Guys, uh, always a pleasure talking. Cheers. See you later. Thanks. Bye. Here we go. There's Vaughn Palmer, Rob Shaw, and Keith Baldry. We'll take a quick break here on Inside Politics. On the other side, we'll talk to Kamloops South MLA, Todd Stone. Radio NL. RadioNL.com. Local. First. Keeping you informed from both sides. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Radio NL's Inside Politics with Shane Woodford. Good morning. Thank you again for tuning in. Beautiful day here in Kamloops. Uh, pleasure to be joined on the phone by Kamloops South MLA, Todd Stone. Todd, welcome. Hey, good morning, Shane. How are you? I'm good, man. You? I'm doing well. Good. You down in what, Vancouver this morning? Down in Vancouver uh, this morning, yes. All right. Uh, you also serve as a municipal affairs critic for the party, Todd. Uh, as uh, no doubt you're aware, uh, Nanaimo uh, wants out of the speculation tax thing, as does both the Colonus West and the city of. Uh, what's your read on that situation, and what should be done here? Well, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, the fact uh, of so many communities around the province uh, in the impacted areas wanting uh, wanting to be exempted from this uh, speculation tax or, or so-called speculation tax, I think really demonstrates uh, that uh, this tax wasn't well thought out at all. Uh, you know, we've uh, we've been uh, asking very thoughtful questions in the legislature over the last number of weeks about this, uh, trying to, uh, you know, clarify, uh, you know, does this tax apply to family cabins uh, and retirement properties? Uh, and uh, the NDP uh, will not confirm uh, that it uh, that it doesn't. And uh, and so there's a lot of British Columbians around the province that are are looking at. Uh, you know, investments that they've made in that uh, in that family cabin at the lake um, uh, or retirement property where they plan on retiring, and uh, you know, looking at some pretty steep taxes uh, in, in the in the months and years ahead. Uh, we keep hearing from Finance Minister Carol James that she's, uh, you know, she's uh, uh, still has to you know finalize the details. Uh, you know, frankly, the uh, when, when you impose new taxes, uh, you make significant changes to your budget. Um, you, you should include that in your budget, which uh, you know they introduced a number of weeks ago. So. A lot of uh, consternation and worry out there uh, that British Columbians are, are going to be uh, uh, the main targets, uh, uh, perhaps in an unintended way, but nevertheless, the main targets of this speculation tax. 
I know talking to Carol James a few days after the budget, uh, the line that uh, she used with us and I think with others was, uh, in the cases you know here in Kamloops, we're, we're exempt from the speculation tax. And uh, she said, you know, if other jurisdictions want to opt in, we're more than welcome to, to ask us, we'll do that. So then is the reverse true? Should those uh, districts that don't want it be able to opt out? Well, uh, I just think this is a terrible mess. Uh, there's no question that uh, if you have uh, this speculation tax applicable in, uh, in say, the Okanagan, uh, uh, you know, Kelowna, West Kelowna, um, uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to have some, uh, some, uh, some consequences uh, in, in neighboring jurisdictions. Uh, and, and I think the worst part of this, Shane, is it actually casts a, a dark cloud uh, right across the whole province. You know, we've got people who... Uh, uh, are are fearful that uh, with with cabins, uh, you know, family uh, residences and cabins on on Shuswap Lake, which at the moment is not you know it's not captured by inflation mm-hmm. tax. But if you read the fine print in the budget, it says you know the, the word initial is used several times. Uh, you know, this is the these are the initial areas that the tax will apply. Uh, so people wonder, you know, is this going to is this going to be expanded at some point uh, in the future? Or or how about the example of a family that uh, lives in Camelot? But they've got uh, a second um, uh, retirement property down in uh, in, uh, in in one case. One of my constituents uh, has a has a place in in White Rock. Um, they, they they bought that place because the, the 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 woman was looking after her aging father and needed you know wanted a place to stay. They then determined that that was uh, likely a place that they were going to retire. Um, they're not speculators. These are people that uh, you know worked hard and have, have purchased a second property for whatever a personal reason. And they're not engaged in uh, in any way in in in, uh, in adding fuel to uh, to the rising house prices in, in British Columbia. So so why are they being targeted? Um, I think I think Carol James and NDP have a lot to answer for here, and I think they're they're beginning to realize this is a real mess. Uh, I brought up the, this point with, with Vaughn, uh, Keith, and, and Rob a little while ago, but I, I think housing sort of transcends the political repartee of the day. I mean, people in this province are very, very, very concerned about the housing market, specifically in the Lower Mainland, but as you know, that we are having secondary explosions, uh, including here in, in Kamloops. Uh, they want a solution. They want a legitimate solution to address this, and I don't think we're getting the speculation tax that we were sold. Uh, so what do we do? do we, does this existing tax stand a chance, Todd, in your mind, or do we throw it out and find another way to come at the problem? Well, uh, look, I, I think all of us can agree that anything that can be done to root out true speculators, uh, you know, wherever they come from, uh, overseas or domestic, uh, you know, folks that are actually engaged in speculation and adding, you know, in, in, you know further pressure to the, to the housing market, uh, you know, fair enough, uh, you know, focus measures on, on those individuals. But when you impose uh, a tax like the speculation tax, which is, uh, you know, has, is half baked, it hasn't been thought out. Uh, you know, we we ask the question: Does this apply to cabins that aren't winterized? You know, if you're in if you're in the Cologne area or, or in uh, in the, the Nimal Regional District, for example, and you've got a cabin on a lake and it's only used for six months of the year, does does this apply? Um, and of course, NDP hadn't thought of that scenario. So. You know, this isn't going to work. The housing, the housing crisis, fundamentally, is about lack of supply. The demand is much greater than supply, and so, you know, I think we think in the opposition that we should be doubling down every effort possible to to bring more supply on onto the market at every at every level and these across the province. 
Uh, as you know, the BC Wildlife Park, because you've met with them, uh, is raising the white flag uh, for a combination of what they're calling sort of a, a perfect fiscal storm with the rise in the minimum wage, as well as this new health payroll tax. Uh, Kamloops Mayor Ken Christian has ruled out any civic help, and I know they want to sit down with Carol James. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to knock on some doors and try and get some answers here, but any movement on that front? Uh, no movement on that front uh, yet, although we're trying. Uh, I mean, the the uh, BC Wildlife Park has been has become a fixture in, in Kamloops for uh, for a number of decades now, and we all, especially those of us with kids, uh, you know, uh, uh, have lots of fond memories going out there. They do exceptional work, uh, and uh, it's a real shame that uh, policies of the NDP government might result uh, in wildlife park having to shut its doors. Uh, so. We're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to try and and uh, you know bring uh, bring some common sense to the uh, to the equation here. And the employer this employer health tax should not apply uh, to nonprofits. It should not apply to uh, to uh, to uh, other government agencies, school boards, uh, municipalities. We shouldn't be taxing uh, the you know the, the payroll of uh, of policing costs uh, like is the current plan. Uh, you know, although uh, this employer health tax represents a pretty significant chunk of uh, the NDP uh, revenue projections in their budget. So, you know, if they start making exemptions in one area, uh, I don't know where they draw that line. But again, another example of a tax terribly, terribly uh, uh, damaging uh, to all kinds of organizations like the BC Wildlife Park, small businesses, school districts, etc. And uh, uh, not very well thought out at all by this government. Can you offer an exemption there? I mean, uh, on the surface of it, you're paying, I mean, if it's essentially the MSP under another name, uh, and you do have employees that have to have their health coverage costs covered, so can there be an exemption? Well, that, that's that's the, that's the question of the hour, uh, for sure. I mean, the Kamloops School District, after all the years of, um, of, of NDP howls, uh, uh, you know, for the, for the need for more funding to go into uh, education, and thankfully, you know, there's half a billion dollars more. That was in our budget back in February 2017. The NDP have followed through with that. That's great. Uh, but uh, they, they plan on, on, on imposing this employer health tax on school districts, which will cost uh, cumulatively around the province, the school districts, about $70 million. And then Kamloops, that works out to about $250,000 uh, annual hit to the operating budget of the, uh, of the uh, Kamloops school district. So, uh, you know, if you, you, you make an exemption there, uh, how do you say uh, no, no exemption for universities? Uh, TRU is going to be hit to the tune of $1.5 million a year. What are you going to do there? Increase mm-hmm. tuition uh, to make up the difference? I mean, there is a cascading effect here. Um, you know, Ask Wellness and other organizations like that. It's a $100,000 hit to their bottom line. Uh, they're a nonprofit providing services to some of the most vulnerable uh, folks in our community. So uh, I, I, this is a, a, just a terrible, terrible mess. Uh, and again, uh, as I said earlier, I, I don't think the NDP have thought through uh, the implications of uh, a number of these tax measures, and uh, uh, you know, we're going to keep pressing, uh, pressing on them uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to, to consider uh, the impacts of these uh, of these these tax hikes on on organizations across the province, including in Camels. All right, uh, Todd, always a pleasure, sir. We're out of time. Thank you so much. Hey, have a good uh, weekend. You as well, sir. Uh, that's Campbell South MLA Todd Stone. Uh, just an FYI for our listeners, we tried to get Finance Minister Carol James last week, tried to get her again this week. We're going to try and get her again next week to answer these questions. Uh, we'll have more on Inside Politics so right here on Radio Now next Friday. The Valley's first choice for local news. CHNL 610 AM in Kamloops and streaming online at RadioNL.com.